Well, today we're back with Teaching Thursdays, and that means we're back in our study of theoretical, practical theology. I'm so excited to be back in this book with all of you. Uh, by the way, Kevin with Better Bible Reading wanted to take an opportunity to introduce myself because I've noticed that uh, for whatever reason, our channel on YouTube as well as the podcast feed has really grown uh, with a huge number of new listeners and subscribers. I've got people subscribing to the email list. And so normally on Teaching Thursdays, I try to avoid uh, talking about the, the kind of housekeeping updates of Better Bible Reading brand. But just because we've had so much growth here lately, uh, I, I think there's probably going to be a lot of people uh, that don't know what Teaching Thursdays is because we, this is something that we left off and uh, around Thanksgiving time frame 2021, and we're picking it back up now. And so Teaching Thursdays is our bi-weekly study that we do on Thursdays. And sometimes in the past, it's been studies of different books of the Bible and kind of topical things. Uh, but last year, we jumped into uh, somewhat of a deep dive of focusing on one particular book. And that book is Theoretical Practical Theology, Volume 1 by Peter Van Maastricht. We have been in this book for three sessions, and then we had a little bonus session to close out the year with my friend, uh, Pastor Matthew Everhard, who uh, was kind to join us to talk about Peter Van Maastricht and uh, his influence on the great theologian Jonathan Edwards. And so maybe you have stumbled across this show uh, thanks to Dr. Everhard because he was kind to share this podcast and YouTube channel on his own. And so if, if you are an audience of his and now you're over here with me, uh, I want to just give a special shout out of thanks to him. And so glad to have you with me. Uh, but if you are a longtime listener, you also know that I'd love to take an opportunity on these Teaching Thursdays episodes to thank my patrons over at patreon.com because it really is uh, thanks to my generous supporters that I'm able to do all the things that I do. Uh, this is something uh, that is uh, somewhat of a hobby for me, but it's something that I would love to do because I love to serve all of you in whatever way I can, help you read the Bible, help you study great theologians such as Peter Van Maastricht. And it takes money to do that. And so uh, my patrons, because of their generous support, they help me make this a reality for you. And so if you have been greatly influenced by this podcast, and only if you have, uh, I want to invite you to go over to patreon.com forward slash better Bible reading if you would like to become a supporter of the show. You can choose from several different support tiers, and when you do, uh, you become uh, privileged to special content and as well as early releases of things. So, with that being said, uh, patreon.com forward slash better Bible reading. You can get more details over there. And now that we have covered all of the housekeeping things, uh, let's get now to the bulk of why we're here on this particular episode. All right, so we left off in theoretical practical theology considering um, Peter Van Maastricht's best method of preaching. That is somewhat of a preface to the book because this book is a systematic theology book. However, uh, the way that it begins is by our study of preaching. Now, I should have skipped over this if I was uh, a little... Um, sensitive to the listening audience because I understand that my listening audience is not necessarily a whole bunch of pastors from all over the world. 
However, I hope that 10 out of 10 of you who are listening to this are part of a church. And if you're part of a church, that means that you are set, you, you are sitting in the pew, you're sitting in the congregation, and you're privileged to hear a pastor preach to you. And hopefully his preaching is biblical preaching. Hopefully it is Christ-centered. Hopefully it is God-honoring. And hopefully it is focused on what the Bible actually says. And that's really a great kind of segue for us because it brings the level of relevance and the, and the level of uh, being sensitive to things that we might not tend to think about on our own. It brings it all the way up to, to a level 10. And thanks to Peter Van Maastricht, um, we're approaching our Sunday interaction with uh, our body of believers that we belong to with a new set of eyes, hopefully a new set of ears, and then hopefully a new heart and a new mind, (laughs) a tall order. But that's really the name of the game in this study so far, because he has really articulated things that very often go unsaid, uh, things that don't... um, get the kind of focus and careful analysis that we should give them. And that goes from everything from the way a sermon is arranged to the length of the sermon to the things that hearers need to think about, the thing that pastors need to think about on behalf of their hearers, and a whole host of other things. And he calls this his best method of preaching. We've been going through this, um, and we are all the way (laughs) to page 7. So we've been moving pretty slow, but today we're going to kick it up a notch a little bit and talk about primarily, um, Peter Van Maastricht wants us to focus, to put it in kind of 21st century language here, he wants us to focus on the difference between preaching the Bible and preaching about the Bible. He doesn't have in mind here the difference between expositional preaching and topical preaching. We kind of talked about that on our last episode in this study. But here he's focusing more so on Good things to say that might be based on the Bible versus the best things to say that are based on the actual text that's in front of you. And this should really make us uh, sit up at the edge of our seats, uh, not only while you're listening to this, but hopefully on Sunday mornings as well. Because when Peter Van Maastricht introduces this whole idea, it's a careful idea of balance. We, as hearers, uh, can be all out of balance because we go to church uh, expecting all the wrong things, anticipating all the wrong things, desiring all the wrong things. And on the flip side, pastors very often go to church and preach their sermons way out of balance. They're focused too much on this and not enough on this. Or they don't want to focus too much on this, and therefore it becomes a detriment of that thing because it's avoided altogether. Peter Van Maastricht is talking to us all about balance. And so, I don't know if you remember that I had mentioned that things get a little complicated in the best method of preaching, not because of what he says and that it's hard to read or anything, uh, but because all of the Roman numerals and subpoints, you have Roman numerals, you have numbers, you have letters, and you can kind of get a little disoriented of where we're going here. So, I always want to just say, Go back to the table of contents, because that really does a great job, of, believe it or not, of showing you where we're at, showing you what we're talking about. And so, last time we ended, 
at the very top of page 7, uh, the end of point 4. So we talked about the arrangement of a sermon, and now we're getting into point number 5 up on the top of page 7, which is an inquiry into the introduction. Peter Van Maastricht calls this in his uh, series of things to think about in preaching a sermon. He calls it an elaboration. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. We're going to be focusing on what it means in this idea of elaboration in the sermon. And we're going to work our way all the way to page 11 at the bottom, getting into the five parts of the doctrinal argument. Now again, this was written for pastors. But again and again, as Peter Van Maastricht uh, emphasizes to the readers, that what he's giving them is for the benefit of the hearers. In other words, even though this is written to pastors, the reason that he wrote this to pastors isn't so they could better serve their hearers, they could better serve their congregation. And so I'm sharing this with you, and we're not skipping over the best method of preaching for the whole purpose and point. Uh, that Peter Van Maastricht sees this as helpful, hopefully, to you, helpful to all of us. And so we can kind of do a little contextualization as we go through this. You might not be preparing sermons week in and week out, but you're hopefully listening to them week in and week out. And so you can kind of tune, as I said earlier, your ears, your eyes, your mind, and by God's grace, your heart to a better uh, receiving of the sermon. And hopefully some some good encouragement and counsel uh, to your pastor if you see this as being something that's totally off the radar. And if, by the furthest extreme, you see this as something that's just not taking place whatsoever in your church, and your church has no interest in these kind of things, um, then you can start to think about whether you're in the right church or not. This becomes bigger than a denominational issue or whatever camp you belong to, because the purpose here in what he's saying goes well beyond any denominational ties. It's focused on how centered and how prevalent the Bible itself is in the preaching. And so that should be a make-or-break-it deal, because preaching is the centerpiece of the church gathering together in its corporate worship. Okay, so that's all preface for this episode. Um, I've been rambling enough here, but I really wanted to kind of set the context, because we've been out of this for a little bit, and there's a lot of new... Uh, People on YouTube and the podcast that haven't been with us, so I wanted to maybe catch you up. Which, by the way, just to say this one last thing, if you don't have the book already, Theoretical Practical Theology, Volume 1, you can find it on Amazon, but I recommend going to heritagebooks.org because Reformation Heritage Books, the publisher of this, I think should be commended. And so I just want you to support them directly. Buy it from them. Uh, I bought mine from them. It shipped really fast. Um, not Amazon Prime, but it was still really fast. And I just want to commend the brothers uh, who are over there up in Michigan doing great work in publishing things, and in this case, translating things that haven't been accessible in the English language up to this point. All right, so page seven, he's getting into uh, the introduction, which he uses as a segue to the elaboration. Here's what he says. I'll read the first paragraph. We make an elaboration concerning the individual parts of the sermon, and individually the ingredients of the parts, among which there is, first, the introduction, which for orators is a less important part of the oration, and thus more frequently neglected by the most outstanding masters of the art. Yet, it is useful, first, 
for the preparation of the hearers, by which they gradually gathered the resources of innate ability and memory for hearing, and for calling them to attention, which occurs by the explanation of the majesty, necessity, and usefulness of the argument to be declared. All right, so here's what he's saying. The introduction to a sermon. Remember, if you're one of those professional orators, if you are a grand uh, public speaker, you don't really care much about the introduction because your whole purpose in preaching, as he talked about last time, or your your whole purpose in delivering uh, an oration is to conceal uh, the gotcha moment all the way until the end. Uh, pastors are that that fit this mold are very careful at being subtle and even to practice uh, not to say it too strongly here but to practice cunning um as as Paul uh, says of kind of false teachers who practice cunning who tamper with God's word uh, he says that these men Peter and Maastricht are interested in concealing their art so that you hang on every word they're saying until the very end and then they deliver this grand finale. He says, that's not really helpful because what that does is it makes you hang on to a person. And what that does is it makes you less interested in what the Bible says, more interested in what they're saying. It leaves them in suspense. It takes them through an emotional roller coaster. And he's saying, that is not what preaching is meant to be. Preaching is meant to be a clear articulation, powerfully proclaimed by the Holy Spirit, of the truth of God's Word. And that means, not that some of God's Word is true and some of it is not, but what it means is, wherever you are in the Bible, you need to take special care to where you're at, so that the people who are listening can benefit from the particulars of the genre, the particulars of where this fits in the scope of redemptive history of what this has to do with Christ, of what significance the argument that's in there is being made, and what difference it makes for us in our lives. He's saying this is all about an open line of communication, a matter-of-fact style. And because of that, you want the introduction to be something that naturally flows and transitions you to the text that's right there. That's the point that he's making. He says, You should articulate this in a way um, that gets people prepped for the big bulk of the content of the sermon. He said something that we've mentioned several times already. He says this, this is for the preparation of the hearers and for innate ability and memory for hearing. (laughs) Remember that idea of, of memory. He has used the word memory. I don't even, I don't even know many times at this point. But he's used it a lot because he sees preaching as needing to be done in a certain way that allows us as hearers to memorize. Now, if I can be an interpreter here for a moment, I think that what he's getting at is meditation, what we would call meditating on the text, what we would call the opposite of in one ear and out the other. But instead, what we would call is pondering and reflecting. Uh, during the sermon, as it's being walked from beginning to end, as well as after the sermon, so Sunday afternoons, on the Lord's Day, thinking about what has just been preached to you during the rest of the week, Monday through Saturday, what was just preached 
that previous Sunday, meditating upon it, trying to consider and remember the big idea of, of the sermon. And this is going to be really hard to do if a sermon is divorced from what the text actually says. For those of you who are in faithful uh, gospel-preaching churches, this might sound almost redundant or almost strange to make the point that uh, the sermon is supposed to be based on the text. Uh, but the late Haddon Robinson, who wrote the book uh, Biblical Preaching and other books as well, based on preaching, uh, he makes he makes the point that the difference between, as I might say it here, uh, preaching the Bible and preaching about the Bible uh, can really be seen in the difference between when somebody introduces something at the beginning of a presentation and then teases that out all throughout the rest versus a sporting event. A sporting event when the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem is given and everybody recites it together. And for the most part, it's just a formality. Because what happens after the Pledge of Allegiance or the singing of the National Anthem has nothing to do with the Pledge of Allegiance or the singing of the National Anthem. In other words, if you go to a basketball game, or you go to a NASCAR race, or you go to a football game, those games are not explanations and expositions of the Pledge of Allegiance or the National Anthem that happened at the beginning of the game, before the game started. It was a formality. It's something that's done all the time. But after it's done, it's thrown out the window. Nothing that happens after that is done has anything to do with it. You can say the same thing about uh, preaching that is not focused and centered upon the Bible. You could read a sermon text and then have an entire sermon that has nothing to do with that sermon text. What Peter Van Maastricht is interested in here is not whether or not that sermon text is related here and not there. But what he's interested in is very clearly if the sermon text remains the text throughout the sermon. In other words, if I want to preach on John 3.16, the sermon text is read, John 3.16, the very beginning of the sermon, before I really get into things. And then for the whole bulk of the sermon, I talk about the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22. We could answer the question, whether or not the sermon was biblical as yes, even if the sermon had nothing to do with John 3.16. Now, whether or not it's wrong to do that and interchange different texts of Scripture is another question for another day. But the question... Of whether it's helpful, whether it's useful, whether it even makes sense, 
not only to your particular style as a pastor, but whether it makes sense to the good and benefit of the congregation is what Peter Van Maastricht is interested in here. He's saying it's one thing to be Bible-based, it's one thing to be biblical, but it's another thing to preach the biblical text of the sermon. If your biblical text is John 3.16, the sermon should be focused on John 3.16. His point in the introduction is that sometimes, if we stumble into John 3.16, or we stumble into a proverb or the book of Ecclesiastes, as he says later, it's helpful in the introduction to give a little bit of contextual clarity, and so that people understand what's going on. But then, the point is to get to the text that you introduced at the beginning. That's what preaching is in the expositional or in the true biblical sense. It is unpacking and showing the argument of the text. Now, you can't do that if you don't even stay with the text. And so we have, unfortunately, a whole lot of scatterbrained preachers. Uh, These men are often very sincere, and oftentimes what they say in the sermon is not unbiblical. It's just that it seems like in the sermon, they've completely forgotten the text that they started with in the first place. So then you have to ask the question, why did we even read it at the beginning? Why are we even using that as a launch pad? Because we've left it entirely. We're not even there anymore. And so that's his point, that what you want to do is understand that God's word is meant to articulate a truth. And if you choose a passage of Scripture, you should be unpacking that passage of Scripture. And I might say it to all of you, the listening audience, if you're part of a church where a pastor is laboring to preach the entire counsel of God, (laughs) be an encouragement to your pastor when they preach to you and you believe that they have rightly divided the word of truth. If your pastor is preaching to you um, three verses in the book of Acts, chapter 3, and you thought it was a very faithful handling of the text, let him know. Be an encourager to your pastor, because what that's going to do is it's going to make your pastor more sensitive. It's going to make them uh, more aware of what they're doing week in and week out. If they thought that they uh, just didn't deliver a good sermon, if they thought it was disconnected, if they thought it seemed to them like it wasn't going to come across well, and it turns out that it did, and it was helpful to you, and you had some spiritual benefit and spiritual insight given to you through that preaching effort, let them know, because that's going to encourage them to continue their labor of studying the Scriptures. They're going to be more careful to arrange their sermons as a result. But if feedback is never given, then they're never going to go, never going to know. It's always guesswork, and they might be trying something new each and every week, and that's certainly not helpful to anyone. His point in getting into the laws of introduction, so we're not touching on every point here, but I want to kind of bring them all together. Uh, The bottom of page 7, the laws of introduction, and then you go to page 8, the affections of the introduction, all the way to the content of the text, page 9. Pretty much his point with all of this is 
balance. You see this a lot of different spots. He says, for the laws of introduction, it needs to be nothing either too prideful or too abased. It doesn't need to be too far-fetched or long, but it also doesn't need to be too short. It doesn't need to be something that's too foreign to the text, but you also don't want it to be focused so much on a text that it totally overthrows anything else the Bible has to say that might be a helpful supplement. It's all about balance. So you might ask the question, is the preaching at your local church, is it balanced? Does it seem to be too heavy on one side or the other? Is it a good balance of things? That's what preachers need to be after, according to Peter Van Maastricht. He also says there's a balance between the rational and the effectual. I think this is really interesting because uh, when we were with Pastor Matt Everhard and talking about the connection between Peter Van Maastricht and Jonathan Edwards, where Jonathan Edwards says that Van Maastricht's work is the best thing written next to the Bible. He thinks this is the best uh, system of doctrine, and we haven't even gotten into a system of doctrine. We're still talking about preaching on these episodes so far. But you can kind of see where that line of thought connects to Jonathan Edwards, because Jonathan Edwards, according to uh, John Gerstner, um, preaches and teaches from beginning to end a rational biblical theology. Jonathan Edwards was very interested in the rationality of the Bible. So this isn't a blind faith guy. This isn't a believe in ignorance. This isn't the believe despite evidence to the contrary. This is Christian theology is rational at its core. It's not irrational. It's not illogical. But at the same time, you can't have a cold, dead, rational faith. Faith is focused. Faith is directly tied to. Faith is exercised in the affections of the heart. I can't help but think of Edward's seminal work, Religious Affections. Uh, He's writing to combat the um, perhaps excesses of the Great Awakening. Uh, We might say that this is a 18th century uh, document that kind of serves as a forerunner for handling uh, kind of Pentecostal uh, notions. And Jonathan Edwards, in that work, he traces through whether an affection is genuine or not on the rational implications of salvation. So you can see him in that work marrying together rational and effectual. Now you might ask, where did he get that from? Well, the main answer is the Bible. But the second answer is Peter Van Maastricht. Peter Van Maastricht here is talking about the balance of rational and effectual. Let me read this uh, paragraph to you. In the introduction, this is uh, middle page 8. The affections, although they ought not to be aroused as much as in the argument, so think there of, of the rational um, concept of the sermon, what's being taught, what proposition is being shown forth in the text, should nevertheless not be entirely absent since the mind of your hearers needs to be prepared 
and their attention stimulated, which will hardly be achieved without the use of any affections. So there you have it. The idea that there is no disconnect, should not be any disconnect, between the affections and the mind, or the affections and rationality. The Bible, when preaching is using the Bible in its proper way, the Bible is seen to be a book of propositional truths. Now, I don't mean by this that we render the Bible down to uh, kind of philosophical syllogisms. What I mean instead is that as we consider what the Bible has to say, as preaching is done in that perfect balance, then we can see that Jesus died on the cross, or Jesus rose from the dead, is a propositional statement. It's meant to be unpacked. It's meant to be understood as an argument. It's not merely information. It is information that is meant to have an impact, that's meant to have a life-changing impact. An impact that not only has to do with our eternal destiny, but an impact that has to do with how we live in the here and now, how we interact with our spouse, with our children, in the workplace, in the local church. And all of this really gets to that marrying together of the rational and the affections. Neither of these are meant to be overthrown, and it is the same way in the Bible. You don't argue merely by cold facts in the sermon. You also don't emotionalize your people into something. He says, uh, I used emotionalize there just in substitution of his word, affections. But he's saying you can't really achieve what preaching is meant to be done with facts alone. It's the affections, the right use of the affections. It's stirring people up to the right use of their affections. It's the significance. It's not only uh, that Jesus is Savior and Lord, but it's how lovely he is and how delightful he is and how much we should uh, care for him in his caring for us as sinners. That's the big idea. So again, but that's a balance. That's, that's a balance that must be maintained regardless of the genre of Scripture. Um, and that's his point to potential preachers and lifelong preachers who are in the thick of it already, that this balance must be maintained for the good of the church. Okay, so what he says in the page 9, the analysis and exposition of the text, um, what he does here in the way to kind of articulate his idea of the text, he says, preaching in the analysis of the text is really the same thing as our word exposition. Exposition, as I said, is the unpacking of the truth that is there. It's the tracing it out. It's the teasing it out. Um, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What does that mean? Why is it that God so loved the world? Why is it that he sent his Son? Why is it that the one who believes in the Son is not going to be cast aside, is not going to be condemned, but is going to have everlasting life. And how is that life everlasting? What the sermon should be doing there is answering those questions. The sermon should be 
handling all of those issues, but presenting it in a balanced way that stays faithful to the text. It doesn't ask all of those questions and then go off into tangents about who knows what. It's meant to answer those questions in a compelling way. Not only the rationality of what's being said, but also the, we might say this way, the emotional impact, uh, the the life-changing significance of what's being said. And again, Peter and Maastricht's point is that it must be done, it must always be done by way of balance. Now, this is tough, and if you recognize that it's tough, then hopefully you recognize that this means that preaching is not easy. It is way easier to get preaching wrong than it is to do it right. Preaching is not one of those things that's just so simple that you have to try to mess it up. You have to complicate it to mess it up. Uh, I would argue uh, the opposite is true. It is hard to be a faithful preacher because it is almost um, an embodiment of what the Christian life is meant to be. Uh, one of balance, uh, one of not being uh, too far here or too far here, one of not being too excessive in speaking about these things and not enough about this. Our Christian life is meant to be a balanced life, and preaching is meant to be focused on the text, uh, but never to the detriment of another text, because all of the Bible is God's inerrant, infallible word. So preaching is tough. You should, as the Bible says, 1 Peter 5, you should um, thank, you should um, enjoy and be thankful for uh, those who are serving you as those who are watching over your souls. Shepherds, pastors, which primarily focus in laboring, uh, preaching and teaching, are shepherding your souls. They're watching over your souls and they have to give an account to the Lord. Now, this means that as they watch over your soul in that primary office of preaching God's word, that's a huge weight because you want to do that right. <laughs> you, you want to rightly handle the word of truth, not wrongly. You want to handle it delicately. You want to handle it as being entrusted the oracles of God. Um, this is something that uh, should be done uh, with a great deal of sober-mindedness on the part of the pastor. But when it's done faithfully, when it's done in a way that benefits your life, when it's done in a way that has lasting impact, even incremental lasting impact, please go to the trouble of encouraging your pastor. Thank them for their labors in handling the Word. Thank them for their ability by the Holy Spirit uh, to handle all these things in a balanced way so that you get a full diet of God's Word. Uh, what a wonderful thing. Uh, this is really meant for those who are reading as pastors uh, to take special care of how they prepare and how they deliver sermons. And again, it should be something that helps you as a listener take special care how you approach uh, the congregation at how you approach the sanctuary on Sunday morning. Are you there ready to listen? Or are you there hungover? Are you there somebody who stayed up way too late the night before? Are you there somebody who overslept that morning and you just showed up half asleep, right? There's special importance given 
to the man who has to rightly divide the word of truth and articulate it to the congregation. But the congregation is also entrusted with the responsibility of rightly preparing themselves to hear the word of God, uh, rightly concentrating as the word of God is being proclaimed, because this is serious business. Uh, that doesn't mean it's not joyful business, but it is serious business. And so that's the name of the game for Peter Van Maastricht. He wants us to understand this in his proper sense. Well, that wraps things up for this episode. We have uh, surveyed this uh, for four episodes now, and we're going to be jumping back into our bi-weekly uh, deep dive into Peter Van Maastricht's theoretical practical theology. We'll have a couple more episodes on his method of preaching. Uh, this next one, we're going to get into his five parts of a doctrinal argument. And then finally, uh, we're going to get into um, the different uses of, of sermons. Um, actually, I can turn to the table of contents to show you. There's the informatory use, the elinctic use, the consolatory use, the rebuking, the exploratory, the hortatory use. Okay, so we're going to get into the different uses that a sermon can have, because even though we should be balanced, not all sermons are the same, because not all genres are the same. And in the same sense, um, the way that doctrine is articulated, we want to pay special attention next episode for the five parts of the doctrinal argument, because we can really start to see um, where his systematic theology comes into play here. All right, so I'm going to guess here. I don't know this for sure. It just depends on how long it takes us to get through. But I'm going to guess that we're going to have about three more episodes in the best method of preaching. And then we're going to get into the official theoretical practical theology, prolegomena, and faith. But that's another episode for another time. So hopefully as this episode launches on a Thursday, hopefully you have time to listen to this or watch it. Uh, before Sunday morning, and I really do hope that this has uh, an impact on how you attend church. I hope it helps you as a listener. If you're a pastor, I hope it helps you as a preacher of God's Word. And please, uh, just remember that the name of the game with this book is not that this is the best method because Peter Van Maastricht believed he had everything figured out, but remember that he had a special eye, a special affection for God's flock, and he wanted to help those who read this um, care for the special flock that they have been entrusted to as pastors. So understand the labors, understand the responsibility that your pastor has, and if you're not part of a church, or if you find yourself questioning the biblical basis of the church that you're at, uh, maybe the best soul-surging you can do is consider the things that Peter Van Maastricht is talking about here and ask the question of whether or not this looks like your church. And if it doesn't, uh, through prayer, um, maybe consider finding a church to where this seems to be the heartbeat. Because the name of the game in this heartbeat is a sincere appreciation and focus on God's Word and the God of the Word. All right, so thanks so much for being with me on Teaching Thursdays. Look forward to another episode with all of you real soon. And until then, take care, and I'll see you.